Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Thank you once again for being with us today. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than our usual thing. We're doing kind of what I have. I, I've been working on this, Luke. Tell me what you think. I'm thinking of calling it Behind the Morbid. <laughs> <laughs> More morbid. Because I'm going to be telling you uh, the story of the music we chose for our podcast. Yes, that's so is, interesting. Yeah, isn't that cute? So it's mm -hmm. uh, get my adorable play on words. Instead of behind the music, it's behind the morbid. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Now I understand the MTV reference. Thank uh -huh. you yeah, that was VH1, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. All right. Okay. Good job. Okay. So, uh, it's going to be a little bit more of a casual episode, not super long, um, and that's for a couple reasons. First and foremost, Luke and I are tired. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever started a podcast, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, a lot more than we realized. Truly, yeah, and it's so much fun. But woo. oh no, when we're having we're having a great time, and we have no interest in stopping. But you know, Luke works full time. I am a full time mom, which, if you've ever been a full time stay at home mom. It is also a lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of work and a lot of uh, lack of free time to do things. So, you know, Luke and I are in that same boat of we just need a breather. We just need a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not just to like take a breath, but also, you know, more time to do some research and other things to help enhance the quality of the podcast itself. Yes. So, uh, and we, and we've been burning through our little, we didn't have a cache of episodes to start with. We had like one and a half episodes in the mm -hmm. can and then started <laughs> churning them out week to week. So, you know, we'll do some episode planning, but you know, we got vacations and, you know, personal time and it's summertime. Yeah. So we're looking forward to taking some time to, you know, unplug and recalibrate. And it's a thing where there's two of us. So the schedule exactly. has, to work, has to work both ways. So, you know, it's, we both have complicated, you know, lives. So, yeah, like like everyone, uh, and <laughs> and most recently, um, a big a big motivator for taking a break is um, I actually suffered a pretty uh, monumental loss last week on the Fourth of July. My beautiful, wonderful grandmother Connie Mancuso died. Mm. She's just everything to me. She was she was a second mother. I adored her. I miss her horribly already, but. Since this is a little history podcast, I'll tell you real quick. One of the coolest things about my grandmother, we believe she was born on January 1st, mm. uh, 1921. And so New Year um, baby. she was a New Year's baby, we think. What's funny is, and this is such an interesting thing about immigration history, is her sister says one thing. Her birth certificate says another thing. So she has like three or four different birthdays, but it's always mm. pretty much been celebrated on New Year's Day. So we celebrate we her on January down to 1st. The, the nearest holiday. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's just always <laughs> what worked for us. So she was born on New Year's Day as an Italian living in Italy, and she died on the 4th of July as an American citizen. Wow. Came into the world, bells ringing, fireworks, left the world the same way. Isn't that unbelievable? That is amazing. So days of joy and celebration. Yeah. The book ending with her American sort of journey. I know. And she <laughs> and she died the same day as John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> so that felt like it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
194 years. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's really surprising or like, and like kind of amazing is the day that she died was the day we released the cholera episode. And Luke, as you know, and anybody who knows me love knows that I love science history and, Mm -hmm. and I love epidemiology and all that stuff. And that is from her as well. My grandmother was a science teacher. And so my passion for learning about the sciences, for talking about them, and ultimately for teaching, that all comes from her. So this I wouldn't even be part of this podcast if it probably wasn't for my grandmother. So I have so much to be grateful for. She didn't even know I was doing this because she had already had a stroke before we started. So she never got to hear it, which might actually be for the best because I don't think she'd love how much I curse. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother does listen and I don't know how she feels about it. (laughs) I don't know. I know. My grandmother would be like, Katie, what? What are you? No, she'd be like, what are you even talking about? But regardless, I know she would have been very proud of very proud of, of you, the I'm teaching sure. aspect of the of the actual work itself that we're doing. So we love you so much. She's such an inspiration and and will continue to sort of be whispering in my ear as we work on this project together. So Wow. Yeah. What a beautiful tribute. Yeah. Thank you. I believe I met your grandmother at your wedding. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. Yes. And she is a force of nature. She was, um. yeah. And I, uh, I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it. I have pictures of her and Jay dancing at my wedding. My yes. husband Jay and oh my god, <laughs> and some so little cute. video too. Yeah, it, I'm not, I'm not totally ready to watch my wedding video yet since <laughs> she's passed, but um, she's got some great little highlights. <laughs> Yes, she did her dowager her, her dowager lap. Yes, so <laughs> awesome, great way to put that. So, um, ironically, you know, I'm just talking about my grandmother's death and how I'm having a hard time dealing with her death. I thought a good idea today would be to talk about death. <laughs> how you work through the pain? How you work through the there. pain? Yeah, yeah, no, this is me. This is me working it out. Because for those who don't know, the name of the song that opens and closes our podcast is called Danse Macabre. <laughs> do you want to, are we going to do Macabre every time or can I say Macabre? I say Macabre, say whatever right? you want. Macabre, I just, macabre, 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 I whatever. <laughs> I don't think I have the energy to keep doing the French accent. As long as I can do an abracadabra song, we're Whatever good. you want, I'm okay. fine. No, I think it's quasi-French, the show. Okay, okay? yeah. It's, <laughs> this is a part-time French language podcast. It's, it's however we feel. It's Frenchlish. You know, I it's, love it. <laughs> Perfect. So the dance Macabre. Oh, it doesn't even feel good. All right, we'll see what we'll see how I go. Uh, it was written. I'm gonna say something 500 times in an episode. I have to figure out how to say it before the episode. <laughs> you can already tell this episode's a lot more casual. <laughs> anyway, Dance Macabre was written in 1874 by the French composer Camille Saint Saint. <laughs> I think As that, in the river? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, not that it matters to me, really. I know. What, are you going <laughs> to Google it? What, are you going to look them up? No, it's Saint-Saëns. Hey, Google, look up Saint-Saëns on Spotify. <laughs> you will know who he is by the time oh, I'm Oh, fuck, the bitch him. listened. <laughs> hey, Google, be quiet. <laughs> I'm not editing out any of this. Pure, oh, pure gold. Pure gold. <laughs> Just imagine if we had a Patreon, okay? Paying so much for this. All the monies. Uh... <laughs> 
Anyway, Camille Saint-Saëns, you probably know his work. He is a very, very famous composer. This particular song is actually better known as a tone poem, which honestly, prior to doing research on this, I had never heard of that. But after looking at the definition, it makes perfect sense what it is. It's What is a tone poem? Please tell me. <laughs> a tone poem. They were <laughs> they were hella popular in the, like the 1840s through the 19 through I think like 1920. The idea is that they're a musical interpretation of a poem or a story or a novel or a painting or whatever, and anything that's basically not musical. Mm. So, you know, say you held up a picture of a, la- a landscape painting that you love. I was going to try to think of the name of one. <laughs> it's such a weird state of mind right now. I literally couldn't. Starry, let's starry night. It. Okay, let's go starry, starry night by Vincent Perfect. Van Gogh. And Perfect. you wanted to write a song that sort of speaks to that painting. That's what mm. a tone poem is. What's interesting is in my years uh, working in theater as like a teaching artist or, or working for organizations as a teaching artist, and I definitely did it in school where you did the opposite, where you listen to a song and then the teacher asks you to like draw an image that inspires you right. based on the music that you're hearing. Because I, I know for me, and I think it's true for a lot of people, I often see music. Like I, I do have something visual in my sure. mind's eye when I hear mm. music. I definitely feel it very deeply. And so it's easy for me to connect to emotion. I only learned recently that that's not how everybody experiences music. And I never really thought about it. That some people. Yeah, that's that's something like a synesthesia, isn't it? Like I if you have. I think a, so. Yeah, and also a, that some people listen to music like just as like it's just an enjoyable thing, but they don't like feel emotions around it. Which is like mm. I didn't. I I only really came to understand that recently because because you know I only know my own. Brain. Experience my own brain, and so yeah, yeah. I definitely connect with music emotionally. Yeah, like you know, I the way you choose music in the moment, or if you pick a playlist, right? It's usually like an emotional. Yeah, like I feel like crying, so I'm gonna listen to all these songs that make me cry. Correct. <laughs> I'm gonna yes. torture myself. Yeah, play Catholic dirges, volumes uh. one through four. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I'm going to hurt myself. I see. <laughs> That's the plan. But I don't think I see I don't I have never seen color with music, I would say. I wouldn't say that I that it goes that far because I know what yeah. you're talking about. That's an actual like condition. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> I think it's an enhanced, I think the superpower. Oh personally. no, I think it's <laughs> awesome. I think it's very cool. And I wish I had that. But like I, I don't know. Like I've always like if I'm listening There's to- bright sounds and there's dark sounds. Sure. Right? But like and maybe it's because also I have a theatrical background and and a, mm-hmm. and some dance. I often picture like movement and like mm. i i play out a play in my mind when i hear music yeah, yeah. so i i think that's yeah that's just maybe my own weird little brain and my imagination or maybe there is something really wrong with me <laughs> really diving in oh man i'm going through a lot right now <laughs> anyway uh You're doing great thanks thanks so let's go to the uh the source material what inspired camille to write his beautiful piece of music. The Dance Macabre, obviously, if you know even the the tiniest little bittiest of French, Dance Macabre literally translates to Dance of Death. Mm -hmm. And so the way that the Dance of Death is best defined is it's actually more of a concept than anything else, but it's allegorical. So this concept is that death comes from up from the ground to dance with the living to their graves. 
So that's like, I know, and it's super creepy, right? Death comes to us all. Exactly. That's going to be the big, <laughs> the big phrase for this episode, death comes to us mm. all. And it's depicted over centuries in pretty much any medium you can think of, whether it's paintings or poetry, dance, music, song, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but what's interesting is when it really, the, that phrase of dance of death really gets coined is more so in like the late 13th or early 14th century. So it's written that far back. That far back. And it's first seen in poems okay. um, where it's talking about Death is like a persona, like if you think of like a Grim mm -hmm. Reaper type character. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's so de death is is a person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what I love about that is how how far back that goes, that like creep factor, that that morbidity, if you will, that that's yes. such a part of humanity. And also, you know, take into consideration that's a rough period in history. Medieval era is just the worst. Mm -hmm. Aren't those considered like <laughs> by the bleakest by historians like the worst time to live in <laughs> yes absolutely the most likely you are to be like fried with a hot poker or yeah something not like. <laughs> make it past 25 or something mm -hmm, absurd mm -hmm. like that and the, the medieval times are just the roughest like we we love to cosplay <laughs> that time period but holy shit no thank you <laughs> it was not all uh human chess and uh turkey turkey legs yeah, very very few turkey legs probably <laughs> probably very Most, scarce and very very gamey and gross well, mostly it's because there were so many famines <laughs> <laughs> yes how do you like a how do you like a squirrel shank how about that <laughs> if you're fucking lucky <laughs> So no, not great. But the idea, like death is a visitor, death is a a friend. Yes, a, and in medieval a... times, death is so much part of your life. I mean, yes. even though you wouldn't think they would need it, artists consistently felt compelled to remind people that you're gonna die <laughs> in this time period. <laughs> so you know, and and you know, rightfully so. I mean, look at what's happening around you at the time. You've got. The, this becomes super popular, many historians say, because of the Black Death, the plague. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have the Hundred Years' War. So just right. endless loss of life. And for those non-history people, and maybe you haven't taken a history class in a while, the Hundred, the hundred Years' War was between France and England. Basically over England being like, I want France. <laughs> <laughs> And it really, it actually shaped France as we know it today. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I'm not. No, it was hugely influential. Oh my God, event. super important. But the life lost, unbelievable, you know, and so many like beautiful songs and poems of the time about people's great loves going off to war and stuff. So, how many Celtic, sad Celtic songs do you know about the Hundred Years War? I know a bunch. <laughs> No, it's a major trauma and yeah, watershed moment. Yeah. I say that I say that never got him. You really do. Um, I really fucking do. Uh but but it wasn't only like 60 years of actual combat though. Yeah, they <laughs> that's another thing. I love this about this that particular topic. I was in a 700 years war. Like, you know How what? Long? It yeah. happened on and off for a hundred <laughs> years. So we're just gonna call it. 100. Well, I think it go it goes past 50 and they're like, oh, 100. Yeah, yeah. It was 51. It's like 100. 100. I think it's because they had a We're claiming that name. They had a series of truces. And then every yes. like 10 years or so, someone would be like, mm, 
would I feel like we should try it again? <laughs> I love this hot take on hundred year war. That clearly so, neither one of us have actually studied in a really long time. I have not talked about it since AP European. History. I was just thinking maybe I was 18. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Uh so yeah, and then and again, that's not taking anything away from the Black Plague, right? Which is the no, not at all. Which is so terrifying. Child's play compared. And literally, you look at all all of the artwork from the medieval period. I mean, it is all death because yes. that's just that's it's all consuming. It literally is consuming Europe. Yes. And I can't think off the top of my head what the ultimate death count on that was, but a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Died? Many. Many. Many, many dead. <laughs> Too many. A whole bunch. Like a very large <laughs> percentage of Europe. <laughs> we'll do a we'll do a plague episode in the future with actual research. <laughs> yes. Let's keep let's keep it <laughs> keep it on schedule. Oh man. So the artwork that I know best of this time period as like a theater historian person is the morality plays. Oh, okay. Did you ever read any morality plays? I know. Generally, I, if you're one? not a theater historian, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. They're not like, they're interesting. I've heard of morality plays. I've heard them referenced. Yeah, so basically, it's, have you ever heard of every man? I mean, it's literally, we use the term every man because of no. this play. Okay. And it's it's called that because the a lot of these morality plays, the protagonist is is meant to represent everyone, the whole of humanity, and they're facing certain evil, good. Are you so it's allegorical? Uh, yeah. Are you going to make virtue? <laughs> are you going to make virtuous decisions? Are you going to sin? Mm-hmm. There are con- what are going to be the consequences or the or the benefits of either side? Obviously, God is often wrapped into this as well. So, sure. this is all the theme of all art at the time pretty much right so it's so it's in everything in terms of the dance of death concept itself the oldest known example mm-hmm. is was seen in a mural around 1424 1425 oh wow yeah 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 it was painted on the walls of cimetière des innocents or the cemetery of the innocents i guess is how you translate that right, in, right. in paris and it depicted skeletons speaking to and dancing with the living, sort of luring them to their graves. With and the people are fully aware that like death is taking them, and they some of them like put up a fight or saying mm. the really sad one is one of them is a child and is like I'm just a child I don't know anything and death is like tough shit time to go <laughs> I'm just a baby come to bed yeah exactly you're done. <laughs> So it sounds like a Fantasia sequence also. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Um, the living people are also, what's really interesting, they're from different walks of life. So that sort of continues to push on that point of like, death comes to us all. It, you could be the Pope. You could mm-hmm. be a pauper. Right. You're going to die. Got it. But what's, what's fun about it is that hmm. the interactions are different between death. Again, death is a character. And the different people, some of it's like very upsetting and very sad. Like the child one is actually very sad. The Pope is in it. The Pope is in it. <laughs> the Pope. Um, the best one though. And different <laughs> members of the church. It's not always the Pope. Oh, it just wow. it depends on the version. Yeah. That's cool. So in this one, at one, <laughs> this is my favorite one. Death is dancing with an abbey. And 
apparently he said, I'm not going to, I don't have the French version of it, but translated to English. <laughs> Death tells him the fattest is first to rot, which is so mean, Death. <laughs> Hating on that rich, fat Fuck you, church Death. bureaucrat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And of course, if you're if you're fat in the in medieval times, you are doing real well. <laughs> you living that good life. Holy God, what are yeah. you? What are what food are you getting? Yeah, you have gout. Ooh, I'm so jealous of you. Oh shit, he's rich. He got he's money. <laughs> Stuff in his face all day. He's obese. What a blessed soul. Exactly. <laughs> so despite a chuckle here and there it, it really is designed to remind people that death is coming for you coming in hot it doesn't matter well here's my question yeah. is it meant to induce positive like behavior yes. or is it meant to help appreciate the value of everyday life i think different artists would say different mm -hmm. things and i think over time the meaning changes here and there if yeah. if i was to take a wild guess in this time period it is very much about Ten commandments, Having a healthy heaven. fear of death in knowing mm -hmm. that it's coming, mm -hmm. you have you have to make some choices, which is why I linked it to the morality plays. And I think I read somewhere that even this dance of death concept would have been like portrayed in little vignettes. So like right. different. So maybe I'm doing the scene with the Abbey or the King or something, mm -hmm. you know, as part of mm -hmm. like that lesson learned. And that actually I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a second. Because, like mm -hmm. I said, it does change over time. Unfortunately, this dance macabre was enjo um, enjoyed, destroyed. <laughs> it was destroyed in 1699, so it doesn't exist anymore, which sucks. Oh, damn. I know. But there was a printer named Guy Marchand. And in about 1485, he had created these wood cuttings. So if you know anything about printmaking... Engraving. Yeah. Or, you know, today's great printmaking artists who create T-shirts en masse. Sure. <laughs> it's the same concept. You know, you have your your wood carving. Um, Luke, at your job, do they do any kind of print printing stuff? Yes. Yes. What do you guys yeah. do? We have a printing press. Oh, awesome. Early 19th century. So it's a, it was a printed newspapers in upstate New York. And so, yeah, there's a stone yep. or some kind <laughs> of uh, element in which you, you would pick up an impression on a piece of paper and you're literally pressing the paper onto the stone. It's amazing. The letters are all arranged. You, you roll the ink over. Oh, it's a fascinating process. So um, now taking that to wood, they, these are, yes. these are so a wood engraving. Exactly. exactly. So yeah. it's, so it's old, older than that, which is, was just yeah. amazing. Big cookie mold. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Uh, so he does sort of the reproduction via these woodcuts, and this gets printed on mass. So people see this everywhere. Um, mm, and it still has, with each image, also has all of these verses that I was mentioning. Mm -hmm. Each little picture ha uh, has an accompanying little poem, if you will. By the way, all of this stuff uh, you can find at the British Museum. Just going to really quickly read you an excerpt. This is sort of the opening and it's really good. O rational creature who desire eternal life, here you have wisdom worth noting to properly end your mortal life. It's called the dance macabre, which everyone will learn to dance. For man and woman, it's natural. Death spares neither small nor great. In this mirror, everyone can read that he will dance likewise. 
Sage is he who mirrors himself well. Death makes the living advance. You will see the greatest begin the dance. For there is nobody whom death does not smite. It's a pitiable thing to consider. All are forged out of the same material. Wow. That is powerful. Very, right? <laughs> Come on, 15th century. <laughs> I love it. This this idea of the dance is happening with or without you. Yeah. It's, you know, and you can be aside, you can be afraid, right? Yeah. Governed by fear, or you can enter the dance. How long is the dance? Your lifetime, I suppose. You're always dancing with death, right? Every But how long is a lifetime? We don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. And every wow, this is a yeah, very, you know, deep thinking. And so I know, which is why when I when it. I started doing it, I was like, wow, the timing of this is so amazing that I I thought I was like, oh, I'll just do this really quick little thing. And now it's so it's touching me so much because of what's yes. going on with my grandmother. It's just like if if there was ever an example of someone who lived her life to the fullest extent, knowing that eventually death comes, it was my grandmother. If there's one thing to learn from the dance of death, it's that. Lived a life that was full. Yeah. Full. Full and good. Like you were saying, that is definitely part of this idea. So any of the dance of death works, uh, historians from what I've read, believe that it all originates from that French mural, that other people came and saw it and were inspired by it and made their work based off of that. There's one in ones in Germany and Spain. I mean, they're everywhere. In, there's an English one. I do love some of the translations too, like in German. The German language is the best. And so in German, you would call it Totentanz. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Totentanz. <laughs> Spanish is uh, La Danza de la Muerte. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is again, thank you, Muzzy. <laughs> <laughs> In Espanol. <laughs> it's also... International hit. International hit. So also, something to think about is the, the visual of skeletons and death and, and the grave. Graven images. That. Yeah. yeah. This is also obviously very much part of our Halloween traditions. Mm -hmm. So it all ties into... It, because they're dancing, there's also that celebratory factor as well. Like, you know, da dancing has this sort of mixed meaning here for me where it's like mm -hmm. we're dance is a happy thing, but at the same time, dancing to your death is this very dark, dark thing. And I, I actually have another episode in the pipeline. That's sort of a little hint, hint, hint about dancing and death. <laughs> oh God. We'll come to that it's, later. It's, it's not all the saints go marching in. It is not all the saints go marching in. <laughs> Um, but I think also of like the the funeral traditions in New Orleans, where there's so much like oh, yeah. music and dancing, and you know that juxtaposed with yeah. the sorrow of death. And a lot of, I mean, Irish wakes. Oh yeah. Also, I, a lot of cultures have this multifaceted experience of death mm -hmm. and how we mourn and and etc. Uh, so my favorite version of the uh, dance of death is by an artist named Hans Holbein, who obviously was German. <laughs> and from approximately 1523 to 1526, he sold his works as woodcuts, and eventually it would be published into a book in about 1538. His series, his is much more religious and like way less cute. It's like, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> mm. Where it starts with death 
showing up after Eve eats the apple. <laughs> it's, it's really intense. And it ends with death at the last judgment. Ooh. So it's hella religious. Full biblical. Oh, yeah. Entire all the books. <laughs> yeah. Old old and new. And, and apparently, according to the description I read, it's in, in that final judgment, everyone who has ever died reappears to be sentenced to eternity in heaven or hell. Oh god. It's so dark. That's so much logistics. <laughs> <laughs> That's so scary. Hi, um, I had a reservation. <laughs> 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 is JFK here? <laughs> so Holbein focuses in on how also how death can come at you at any moment. Reg Snatch you. Yeah, regardless of like your status or how powerful you are. It re and mm -hmm. it, so this really smacks more of that like your fucking money isn't going to save you now. <laughs> and in these plays, this is more of that morality thing of mm -hmm. the the rich tend to really who like overlooked the poor in their lives tend to really suffer at the end. Yes. And the poor, on the other hand, the peasants are relieved when death yes. comes to them, that it's an end yes. to their suffering. Their suffering. Yeah. yeah. So it's that. Brilliant. So yeah, that to me, that is a very medieval concept and, and very yeah. biblical. Right. Yeah. Trying to, trying to get to the, the good place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great modern reference, Luke. Good for you. <laughs> so this uh, this allegorical concept of the dance of death uh, stays pretty popular, actually, all the way up through the Renaissance. But then it just kind of falls out of favor. And it really isn't seen much again until the 19th century, which if you know your, your periods, that is the period of romanticism. Mm -hmm. uh, and so with romanticism comes a callback to the medieval period. A lot of the art becomes popular gothic. again. Yes, they're very into their gothic stuff and certainly in France where you'll mm. find our boy Camille Saint-Saëns. <laughs> um, I should also note something that clicked in my head when I was researching this. I thought it was so interesting that this isn't seen again until the 19th century after the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars. So that's also after a period of enormous death and tragedy. So for this to then come back into favor, my mm -hmm. like, God, we're just, everything's cyclical, right? Like you just have to go through yes. something bad enough. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Sure. We, it's like we go, we go through, you know, centuries of war, world wars, mm -hmm. you know, the you think about talking about the hundred years war before. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we tend to think of these things as happening in cycles, but it's like the human, the human gig is just death laden. Yeah. No matter how, no matter how you slice it. But yeah, there, you know, there are moments in which there is a, a, a color that is cast over a society by a certain tragedy. Yeah. And I think also maybe as part of that, you know, I'm no expert on the romance period, but no, part of that hearkening back to the medieval era is mm -hmm. is the darkness of it, you know, mm -hmm. and like the, the yeah, the hopelessness, and the, the sheer sadness, the ever presence of death. Yes, and there's got to be something after seeing just one too many heads cut off in front of you in France that you know that's going to do something to you. <laughs> <laughs> all the executions all the all of them so many yeah uh so 
our boy uh, Saint-Saëns. <laughs> I think it might be more Saint-Saëns. Like you are supposed to say a little S at the end. Saint-Saëns. Mm -hmm. Tease Yeah. I don't know. He's not going to care. <laughs> I don't think he's listening. <laughs> Great. Now I get haunted by him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So he actually, uh, like I said, he was a very well-known composer. He is a very well-known composer. He wrote his first symphony at 16. He was a, a total genius, apparently, and specifically on the organ. He was like Great. unparalleled. Like everyone said he was the best. I think Franz Liszt said he was like the greatest organist he'd ever known. So he's like a prodigy. Totally, yeah. Um, and he wrote numerous piano concertos, violin concertos, cello concertos, anything and everything. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So Dance Macabre is what he writes in uh, 1875. And this is really inspired by sort of within that Dance Macabre <laughs> concept, the the part where the skeletons have have risen and are dancing yes. all night and and then the song ends with sort of the sound of oh the sun is rising we're all safe again death is, oh, wow. death has gone to bed so wow. yeah it's worth listening to the entire piece if you never have um yeah i've taken a long listen longer listens to it. yeah no i mean you know, the, the track we have in the show is is a is a recording based on this composition the, yes the recording that we're using is a really sad little you know midi file because we don't have the money <laughs> to pay for the rights of an actual beautiful orchestral version. Yes. Yeah. Hashtag long-term goals. But <laughs> <laughs> for now, it's doing its job. And if you do listen to the whole thing, you'll obviously hear our podcast starts with that really intense screeching violin that's so mm -hmm. grating and creepy. And it just, it sets it up really well. Um, but then throughout, you'll also hear a lot of xylophone, which is not standard in most classical pieces it's not a heavily featured instrument for the most part right. but he used it but this is a concept piece so. i mean yeah and he used it it's a tone poem luke <laughs> <laughs> but he used it to imitate the rattling of bones Ooh, perfect yeah isn't Brilliant. that smart yeah so it's <laughs> yeah it's perfect i know now, now you're gonna listen to it later and be like oh yeah. yes yes uh, oh wow so one thing that i love about this is because to me i'm like he wrote this in 1875 that's amazing like i can't believe this was popular oh that's because it wasn't <laughs> 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 Nothing like a one way to cult classic. <laughs> People were like very, very put off by it. The, wow. the screeching violin was something they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Who wants this? Right. I can actually hear my grandmother being like, who wants to listen to this? <laughs> you like this sort of thing? Who likes this? Who is this for? <laughs> that was her, always her big thing. <laughs> there was anything she didn't like. Who is this for? <laughs> And that's a question we should offer more often to the universe. It's so true. <laughs> uh, so obviously, eventually, it did become more popular. And fortunately for him, that didn't like end his career. His best songs were yet to be written. Do you know mm. um, the Carnival of Animals? That's like his most famous. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, there's a uh, within that. There's the Swan section, which is the most famous, which goes da 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 da. I might note if I heard it, yeah. That was, you just did. 
You didn't unlock my brain with that Sorry. one. I do, this all the time. I do this all the time with TikTok. I'm like, you heard that TikTok song? It's like, yeah, yeah, People are like, what did you say? And then I'll play for them. I'll play for them. They're like, yeah, that's not what you did. Yeah, you. <laughs> what you did was like a, a cat dying. I don't know. I don't know what. Alalala. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> anyway, try to listen. In my to in my mind, the Carnival Animals is like it sounds like a like a like a like a Barnum and Bailey circus. Oh, like, like oh a, I know. There's like a, a hurdy gurdy part in the beginning. Wait, so there's also the end of it when it goes. Yeah, there you go. That we've heard before. Yes. I'm sorry. I was just singing my favorite part before. Okay. There you go. Sorry, the classy part, the swans that I couldn't recognize. The pretty part, the nice part. Yeah. Garbage person. Uh, I know clips. I know clips of things. Okay. I don't know anything in its totality. My other wait, this so this is you're gonna love this. My other favorite thing that I learned about him was apparently he was like never on great terms with a lot of his fellow musicians at the time. Aww. And my favorite quote, maybe ever, this is the best burn, Mr. Uh, Claude Debussy, who we know very Ooh, well. Oh, I love him. He once stated. I'm going to read it in a French accent to really Please. hammer this home. I have an horror. That's horror. Oh, see, it didn't work. I have a horror of sentimentality and cannot forget that its name is Saint-Sens. <laughs> a horror. A horror. <laughs> like, he's basically, to translate that, <laughs> this guy's a basic fucking bitch. <laughs> and his music is basic. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you wrote like about a, a swan. This, oh, you wrote wrote about animals. Good for this you. This is like some. This is like some Salieri Mozart shit right here. Uh, yeah. Except I think that actually <laughs> Debussy might have been more talented. Right. No, it's the reverse. It's the reverse. <laughs> no, but Mozart makes fun of Salieri too. That's my favorite part. But that's only according to the movie Amadeus. You don't know if yes. that's true at all. Doesn't matter. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a book. I'm not talking about anything that's documented. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm talking about Timothy Hulse, oh, and I'm talking about F. Murray Abraham. That's what I'm talking about. This is who it is. Tom okay. Hulse. Tom Hulse. God. Cut. Cut. <laughs> what did I say, Bill? Uh, I think you just called him Timothy. Ooh. Anyway, yeah. all of the fun facts on that to side. How did it come to be part of our podcast? Not that I've run through the history. So Luke and I were kicking around... <laughs> A bunch of like cheap free music, <laughs> creep tastic tracks, <laughs> like spooky listens for your Halloween party. <laughs> right, it was literally like watching someone's like Netflix screen with mm -hmm. like a, like a like a playlist. Like it was yeah. Dun, 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 dun. sitting right and then this just started popping in my head and my ridiculous reference for this song is actually from the movie tombstone oh my god no way yeah so do you remember the scene by the way we could have a i would love to have like a master cut of and every time i said do you remember the part or do you remember the scene because i do it i feel like in every episode but do you remember the part <laughs> where they're at the uh the the little theater there in tombstone and they're they're watching like the variety acts and mm -hmm. um, 
they're doing essentially like a little mime play of uh, Faust. Yes. They do it to this song. Oh my God, no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it stayed in my head and it just popped in my head. I know we, so this is, you're hearing it here first folks. Luke, this is great. This, this um, is great. So I was like, Oh shit, that would be great. I wonder if I can find like a free version of this. Yeah, summer. Right. And I looked high and low for like an actual orchestral version that I would really like. And it's just, it just doesn't exist. So what mm -hmm. I went with was the best of the options. And honestly, it's not bad. It's very good. Yeah, it really is. So I'm glad I'm glad I got my pause on that. But yeah, that's that's how it ended up in our hands and I think it's so perfect and now that I know even more about the song, it's even more perfect. The concept of it is so morbid and dark. Yes. And it also has like this incredible art history and and you can actually yes. see these tangible works of this concept in museums like all right. over the place. It's really incredible. Tombstone is the last current reference of Dance Macabre that goes back literally like a, like 800 years. Well, no, no, there's more. There's more. Wait. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. There's probably 30 more. I had a, so apparently, wait, no, apparently there, because um, I saw it on uh, when I was researching. I, I think it was in Shrek oh, no. 3. I think, oh, I think I read that it's always in like the sequel to the sequel to the sequel. Yeah, to, okay, exactly. I don't even know if I saw Shrek three. Um, hang on, wait. I feel like it's more more Lithgow content. And then it's well. also um, hang on, let me look it up real quick, just because it's funny. Oh, I oh my god, so it's in so many things that I love. It was apparently used in episode ten of in season one of What We Do in the Shadows. Which of course. Oh my, of course. Which of course. Of course. If, by the way, if you guys don't watch that show, I am sad for you because the funniest. Nothing makes me laugh harder than what we do in the shadows. It is brilliant. I think my favorite reference is uh, <laughs> it's used in the first episode of yours and my favorite true crime doc. Don't fuck with cats. Yes! <laughs> I love oh my that series. God, don't fuck with cats is so good. Those people, I feel like if if we gave them any task, like solve world hunger, those don't fuck with cats people would figure it out. The internet sleuths would be all over. Ugh, gems. Oh my god. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so that's that's our little episode. Easy breezy. We will be taking the uh, remainder of July off, but we'll be back with you in August and with some very fun new episodes to come. Finally start having some guests as well, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just thus far, we've been so overwhelmed by the support. We have loved doing this from the jump. It was such a leap into the unknown, mm -hmm. Katie. I know that um, I think I was a little late to this party. I was like, ah. <laughs> so many reasons. <laughs> I should have had more reservations. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you, you were cor correct in your caution. <laughs> it feels like work. Um, <laughs> oh, because oh, oh, it is. 
but it's really fun. And the feedback we've received has been so generous and so sweet mm. and so bolstering. Of course, we're, it feels as if we're doing it for ourselves because it's just us talking to each other. And then we, we put it into the internet. So it's very intimate in that way. Yeah. But people are interacting with it. They're hearing it, quoting it back to us, asking us questions and giving us amazing support and feedback. So we're very grateful for our More Buddies group team more buddies love our more buddies. more more buddies to come get the word out more so, buddies the better uh? <laughs> <laughs> like selling more buddies like a bad oh, we just lost them, 10 but. listeners <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back just after this <laughs> folks remember to subscribe uh, to the morbid museum podcast wherever you listen to podcasts please follow us on instagram at the morbid museum for more morbid content until next time we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the morbid museum podcast bye bye